You're listening to the Black and Brown Ghetto Underground. Uh, this is a tough one for me. For no other reason. Other than the fact that the subject of this particular episode reminds me a lot of me. In so much that one when you're when you're a person who thinks differently who acts differently has a different way about them people tend to look at you uh differently uh sometimes they give you a certain amount of disregard they look at you a little funny out of the side of their eye or um i i, I grew up being called different and that was uh a polite euphemism to put it uh to put it politely, it wasn't um, it wasn't derogatory. It wasn't uh, meant as a slight. It was just meant as a designation. It was a way of identifying you without uh, ridiculing you. And uh, some people would use that term for ridicule and mockery, but more often than not, people who did that were normally afraid of how different you were. They were taken back by your inability or um, refusal to conform to the way everybody else worked and everybody else acted. Uh, I won't go into too much of how I grew up because it's personal. I may go into it a later date, but that's not the, that's not the purpose of this one. I wanted to talk about Elijah McClain. Elijah McClain um, was what some people would call different. He didn't act the way most people would think a young African-American male would act. Um, he didn't look the way most people would think an African-American male in in the year of our Lord 2000 would look. He did his own thing in his own way. And I have a lot of respect for him for that. The, the term that's used so often, it's one of those cliches that you cringe at whenever somebody uses. Because it's used so often, it almost becomes noise. It's, it's not, um, it's not an accurate depiction. It's not, it's not even close to being a good description. It's just that thing you say in place of the thing you couldn't figure out how to say. Elijah McClain died August 30th, 2019. I didn't find out about it until roughly a year later. I think it was around about August when I found out about his death. Now, um, I hope my words are not giving the impression that I knew this young man personally because I did not. Before I knew about Elijah McClain, I was just like everybody else, angered, set at the number of black bodies that were dropping at the hands of police. 
and I'm not really sure how it happened, and I'm not really even sure it matters how his story came to my attention, but it did. And I don't know why this young man's story resonates so strongly with me. I mean, I've, 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 you know, I've supposed and I've assumed, but it maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just as simple as a young man who could have been my younger brother. And I mean this with all the love I can possibly muster. My weird little brother who loved to play violin for shelter animals. Now, if you remember one thing about that young man, only one thing, let it be that. If his story fades from your memory, if the tragedy that is the end of his life and not the sum total of his life is all that you remember is that he played violin for, for shelter animals, that's a beautiful memory. Because in my estimation, that that can create the story of who he is. And not just that incident. It's not just that particular act. It's the motivation in his heart to do that. The act in and of itself is a beautiful thing. Playing music for animals who may or may not see another day, depending on the shelter. But there was something in this young man's heart that made him want to give them a gift of music. We all know that music moves nearly every creature on this planet. And I'd like to think he knew that. And I'd like to think that his gift made their existence in that bleak place beautiful. There's a part of me that rages at the taking of his life because the details surrounding it are categorically foul. The fact that he was stopped in the first place by police is foul. The fact that it escalated is foul. The fact that they knelt on his back was foul. The fact that they handcuffed him was foul. The fact that they injected him with ketamine is foul. The fact that he apologized he apologized to these men and one woman, and they still took his life. Now, 
again, I apologize because I don't know the entire facts behind this story. All I know is what I've read in the New York Post, the New York Times, papers from Colorado, CNN. All I know is what I've read. And there still is no justification for that young man losing his life on that street on that night. The events that led up to that, where he was, what he was doing, are irrelevant and trivial because nothing he did, with the exception of be black at night in the city where cops have a tendency to be a little more suspect of anyone of color. Aurora, Colorado has a very well-documented history of over-policing its colored population. Details of which I won't go into here because this is not the forum for that. That's not a cop-out. That's a statement of fact. I'm not here to talk about the policing failures of Aurora, Colorado. I wanted to talk about the one failure. And that was the night that they took the life of Elijah McCoy. Everything that I've read, uh, the various accounts from his family to um, his clients to the people who worked in the shelter, Elijah McLean was a gentle soul. Now, when one thinks of a gentle soul, one thinks of someone who's quiet, demure, um, recedes into the background doesn't bring too much attention to themselves. Introverted in some ways, or in a lot of ways. Introverts are, uh, are amazing people. In my um, experience, introverts are incredibly observant. They're in 
in very many ways separate from the rest of us because they choose to be. Or in some circumstances, it's just a way that they are able to cope with the inundation of stimulus and people. And I think many of you will agree that, like a lot of people, aren't really great to be around. And people in general, in certain occasions, aren't really fun to be around. So it's sometimes easiest to fall back and observe. I've known introverts to be very introspective and very very thoughtful people. When you spend a lot of time observing and reckoning your own thoughts, you have an insight into human behavior that a lot of people don't have. And that's valuable. It's valuable because you tend to treat people with a bit more regard. I wouldn't say caution because caution denotes fear and I don't get the impression that um, many introverts are fearful. Cautious? Yes. I, I, I would hesitate to say fearful. So I wonder what was it like or what it would have been like to sat in the kitchen and shared a meal with Elijah or what was it like for his family to sit in the family room and watch a movie what the interchange would be what the what the conversation would be like what was it like for his for his clients to interact with him because he apparently struck up friendships with the people who were his clients and with the people in the shelter where he played violin for shelter animals they they spoke of him glowingly now it's it's customary not to speak ill of the dead and a lot of customs have been tossed away in 2020 and for that matter from from 2016 to now. A lot of customs have been thrown away. But one custom that has always held true, never speak ill of the dead. But knowing that and hearing about him and seeing the, 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 the very little interviews that have been given <clears throat> by his co-workers and his family, he was a gentle person. And I wonder what it would have been like <clears throat> to ask him, why did you want to do that? Why did you want to play violin to animals in a shelter? A violin is... Whenever I hear the term violin, I think of a song. And not a not a loud thrummy song or a shrill staccato song or a long dirge-like tone, but a lullaby. 
Whenever I think of the word violin, I hear a song that sounds like a lullaby. I imagine the soft strains of the strings of the violin floating through the air, hitting my ears and bringing me comfort and ease. Singing me to sleep or calming my spirit. I can only imagine that this is how the animals felt when he played for them. And there is no way of knowing the song he chose because there's no video on it and there's no recording on it, but I can only imagine what the song would have been. I can't imagine the song would have been jolting and jarring or high-pitched and shrill. I can only imagine it being soft and pleasing and comprised of slow rising peaks and deep soulful notes that let these animals know that they were they were loved while they're there that this young man cared for them this is all supposition and assumption I don't know I didn't know the young man. I wish I did. I truly wish I knew him as a friend. I can't imagine having a better friend. One who understands what it's like that the quiet moments are sometimes the most important. Again, it's assumption. I don't know. What I do know is that um, Elijah had his way about him. He had he had certain things that he didn't like and that he did like, and uh, I believe it was his mother who who spoke about that in an interview, probably with uh, with a Colorado television station or a news station. Uh, we all speak well of those who have left us. But there's a difference when that person is truly exemplary in, in that they are as gentle as the people who we're talking about say they are. That it's not hyperbole or you're not bigging up or crittying up the memory of that person who's gone. The genuine truth about this young man was that he was a gentle soul who cared and had compassion and the people who he left mourn him deeply. It's a mourning that is coupled with a question of why and how could this have happened? A question that won't be answered, not by the Colorado police not by the district attorney not by the grand jury i don't i don't gather that anyone in colorado government is going to give elijah's family the truth that they need the truth of what actually happened dash cam footage shows it not dash cam footage i'm sorry 
body cam footage shows what happens. Um, I will not say the names of the of the men and women who took his life. Only I will go so far as to say that they acted in a callous and inhumane way towards him and his body after he had passed. You don't give a skinny little black kid who looked as though he weighed less than a buck fifty. You don't give a kid like that who's not resisting ketamine. I don't understand that. And this is my impression, or this is what it feels like, or what it must feel like for his family and friends to mourn him, and but mourn him and know how gentle and kind he was and still have that question, how could it happen? some ways at least for me um disconcertingly tough um because again I, I i never knew the kid i found out about his death a year after his death i saw the saw the body cam footage and wanted to find out more and when i found out more I was, I was gobsmacked. I couldn't believe that 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 could happen to a kid who was basically just minding his own business. Someone called nine one one. Said someone is out there looking sketchy. And the next thing you know, the young man is dead. His family will never be in his presence. His clients will never spend time with him. Those animals will never hear him play violin. 
whatever comfort they gained from that is gone. And the impetus of that absence was someone calling 911 and mischaracterizing a young man wearing a sweater and a hoodie as sketchy. It was later found out that the reason why he dressed the way he did is because he was cold. He was just someone who's unusually susceptible to a chill. There's nothing sketchy about outerwear. There's nothing sketchy about wanting to be warm and comfortable. So, this sticks with me. Um, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, it's not done with me. He's basically the reason I started this podcast. I started this podcast because I needed a way to deal with the fact that along with numerous other African-American men and women being taken by police violence, this young man who did everything right, was doing everything right, still lost his life senselessly. And there's there's a gnawing anger that is created when I think about the fact that we as people of color have to do everything right in order to just stay alive. You can't talk to anybody who's never experienced that feeling. And if you're a person of color, you know what that feeling is. If you're not, that feeling is when you have eyes on you. I don't know if it's a primal instinct that we have as human beings, because human beings are essentially evolved animals, but we still have those instincts. You know, that instinct where, you, you know, you're around somebody and they seem a little sketchy or a little off. And you get this feeling in your stomach where you're like, eh, I'm not too sure about that guy. Um, she she kind of, yeah, she kind of creeps me out a little bit. Yeah, that dude's a little skeevy. I don't, I don't know about him. That's a natural instinct that we've never lost. And that we were always held on to. And that has aided us if we listen to it. It saves our lives. It keeps us alive. Keeps us out of harm's way. If you're crossing the street and you feel like, okay, they're... Maybe I shouldn't cross the street. Next thing you know, a car whizzes past you. That's instinct. So when I say that I know what it feels like to have someone's eyes on me, that's because it's instinct. Someone's looking at me and not in a way that would be pleasing to me or comforting or reassuring. That person is looking at me to check to see if I'm about to do something that they can call the police about. Or maybe it's the police themselves. Standing outside at a particular time of night, 
doing absolutely nothing out of the ordinary or illegal. And a police car drives by and looks at me. And that's it. It's just a look. Sometimes that look is followed by the slowdown of the car and the exiting of that car and that officer asking me for identification or do I live here or move along. That stuff happens. It's not urban myths. It's not big city talk. It's not the paranoia of colored folk. It's true stuff. I don't know if Elijah felt that when he was walking down the street before he was stopped by the police. I don't know if he felt that after he left the store getting an iced tea and some candy for his brother. I don't know if he felt that. Why should he? What was he doing wrong? What was he doing that was sketchy? Nothing. Yet on August 30th, he lost his life. And his passing, his no longer being here, for some reason weighs on me. I, I don't begrudge it. I really don't. I would like to find out more about this young man. But I'm not going to be disrespectful and hound his family to find out who he was. Not yet. Not right now. But I don't, I don't have the impression that it is done with me. There's more to be said about this young man because there's more to know for those of us who don't know him. And along with Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, Botham John, and all the other souls who lost their lives this summer, their stories need to be told. They need to be remembered. for no other reason but then to know that they were alive they drew breath they knew love you've been listening to the black and brown ghetto underground I hope to see you soon